God's timing is always perfect. And uh, we, we just ended a series. In my spirit, I, 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 I was ready to move on. I know in my mind I could have kept going with different things about this, the, the topic that we're talking about. But God kept speaking to me about getting ready for uh, Easter. And uh, we don't want to waste any moment. And so we're taking a journey together on our way to Easter. Easter is in April, if, I'm, if I am correct. So we got a few months uh, to prepare ourselves for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday. But we're going to be in the book of Mark. And uh, how many of us have ever read at least one time the Gospel of Mark? Okay, how many of us, this is not a trick question, how many of us, the book of Mark is our favorite of the Gospels? Many people, some people, many people are like, no, John. Okay, how many of us, when you first were a Christian, you read the book of John? That was your first gospel? I thought so. Yeah, yeah. Me, Book of Mark. I love the Book of Mark. I love how action... Now, now I'm not saying that the rest of them are not action-packed, but I love how Mark, he has a very distinct perspective on it. He has a, he has a Jesus who... And I'm, when I, today when I say he, when I say waste time, I don't mean in a bad way, but he doesn't, he doesn't waste time by doing, like trying to set up a scene. Sometimes when you read a novel or you read a book, like sometimes novels can be, you can get lost in details. If you read Luke, he's very detail-oriented, you know. Um, in the original Bible, they didn't have verse numbers, but even even how they put verse numbers in the book of Luke, like, ver, like there's chapters of 70-some-odd verses, like, come on. Like Mark is like, boom, boom, boom. Jesus immediately did this. Immediately he does that. He goes here, he goes here, and it's like, I read this thing, I read a few chapters this last week, and I'm like, it's like a sprint, and I, I'm tired when I read it. But I, it's amazing how much the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, flow together, and they teach us about who God really is. I love the book of John because I took a whole class, this is how nerdy I am, but I took a whole class in college about just the book of John, and then another class was called the Synoptic Gospels, which is the rest of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in story. You might even read, if you read Matthew and then Mark and then Luke together, you're going to see some of the exact same things word for word. And you go, what's the point of that? But I'll tell you something. When you see, when you see um, the Gospels put together, it's like a diamond. When you see it from different angles, you have different beautiful colors. And it's like something that we used to have in our... Um, kitchen, you know, is like this thing that would spin around and every time it spun around, you got a different color shining through it, depending on what angle you got. And once you put the thing together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and who he always has been. But what I love about John, to throw that in there for a minute, is that John says, I, I gave you a bunch of stories about Jesus, but even if I could fit all the stories about Jesus, what he did and what he said and what he taught and everything. I, there, there was not enough room in every library to fit everything he did. So we don't have everything about Jesus, which is an amazing thought that we're going to go to heaven someday or Jesus will return. We're going to go, wow, I didn't know that about you. Wow. It's so much, so much more amazing than I thought, right? And one thing to think about, another way of looking at the four gospels, why four gospels? Because let's say, that there's a crime scene that takes place right here, okay? And you're a detective. Your job is to figure out what took place. You need to write down the story of what took place. How did that person end up right here? 
So you asked four people that were, one that was over here, one was back there, one was over here, and one was drinking coffee over here. And you all asked them, okay, what happened? What happened? What happened? They all saw the exact same scene, but they saw it from a different perspective. Okay? Sometimes when you read the Gospels, you, you want to know, you, it's very important to understand who they're writing, the author's writing to. It's very important to what is their purpose. Because each gospel writer has a very specific purpose. Mark has a very specific purpose. His purpose is not exactly the same as what Matthew, if you read Matthew, he, he does it completely different. But like that crime scene illustration, if you get that story and you get that story and you get that story and you get this story and you put it together, you can kind of figure out what actually took place. How many of us know if every person says the exact, every witness says the exact same thing word for word? How many of us believe that would not be true? You can't say the same thing word for word. Everybody sees it at a different angle and a different perspective. You focus on something. You know, look at his hand. No, 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 no. Look what happened to his ear. Like that kind of thing. It's the same story. You got to have it together. That's why it's important to go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But for the record, I love the book of John. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love the book of John. Okay. John is so intimate about the details about Jesus that the other ones don't even know. Because according to the Bible, he's the, he is the, uh, disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, he's the one that was the closest to Jesus. They were best friends. So best friends know a little bit more detail than the rest of them. Okay. But my, my favorite, even to this day, Mark, because I like to see I like to see a story that just gets to the story and not waste, not wait. I don't say waste and none of the gospels are wasted, but it doesn't need to set up a scene by saying this and that and the other thing. And then it gets to the story. Mark's like, I'm getting you right into the story right now. And I'm like, good. I like it. Another way of looking at, I try to think about how to see the four gospels. It's, I was part of an orchestra for about three months and I gave up the violin. My brother brought the, he, he, he said, I want to be the celloist. And we'd have to walk to school, like, I'm not kidding, probably a mile. And, uh, so when we were, when I was saying when we were kids, we were walking to school about a mile in the snow barefoot. That was true, not uphill. But I would, I would carry my violin, bunch of nerds, but we were carrying our violin. He'd have his cello. And he's all carrying it. He's like, this is really hard. I go, that's exactly why it sounds cool. But I want you to think about the four gospels as a, as a, uh, a string quartet. Okay, I had this idea in my mind, like what, there's something that exists. It's a string quartet and it's four instruments, two types of violins, a viola, which that to me looked like a violin, but just a little different, and then a cello. Okay, how many of us know the difference between a cello and a violin sound? It's obvious. Okay, one's like, you know, and the other one's like, you know, screech. That was how it sounded for me. But anyway, like those little recorders in elementary school and it's like the, you know, you can't quite do it. But when you take these four specific, there's two types of violins. There's a viola and there's a cello. When you put them all together, they're separate. They're very distinct, very individualistic. You put them together and it is a beautiful orchestra, beautiful string quartet. That is exactly what you, it, the gospel is not meant to be re- read just by themselves. Okay. In fact, the story today that we're going to read, just eight verses, it's going to be you're, I recommend and even dare you to read the rest of the story in the Matthew, in Matthew, Luke, and John because you get a complete picture of what actually took place with what we're talking about. So what we're doing 
is I'm going to give you the introduction of Mark. So for a moment, go with me here, please. Don't, don't tune out yet. Okay. Tune out when you get home and you take a nap. Okay. It's going to be more like a Bible study. Okay. This is going to be some nerdy stuff, Bible nerdy stuff. Okay. Cause it's important to understand who Mark is. In fact, something happened in the life of John Mark who, uh, that changes life forever. And in my opinion, if it wasn't for one individual, John Mark would have been, he would have been left out in history. Okay. He wouldn't have been a Christ follower. He would have left. He'd been so discouraged. He would have left. But there was one individual that brought him back into the fold. You'll, you'll see, you probably read it in the Bible. You're like, which one is that? Okay. You'll, you, you, this is very important. Mark is such an important thing, but Mark is writing to a Roman audience. He's not writing to a Jewish audience. So when you read the book of Matthew, how many of us have ever read the book of Matthew? How does it start? What's the very first chapter? It's this person begat that person. That person that begat that person. Now let me be honest. It's very important. It's a very important part of scripture. Those names. It, it really is. But, Every time I'm t- I read Matthew 1, I'm tempted to fast forward to the Christmas story. Okay? Am I the only one? Like, I know this person began, I can't even, I can't even pronounce half the names. So, it's funny when we read the Bible as a family, and, uh, it depends on who's reading, but, uh, um, when they start reading these, this person begat that person, I'm like, <laughs> cause we, you like, we can't, we try to figure out what, isn't that true? Lydia gets it most of the time. I don't get it, but, um, but, Matthew, he, why does he put those begats? Because he's writing to a very Jewish audience that needs to know who Jesus really is. Okay? He comes from the line of David. They would have needed to know that. And in Matthew, you say, he, Jesus said this, that fulfills da, 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 da. They needed to know that because he, Jesus is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Now, that's important to all of us, but it's vital to Jewish people. Because the, because the, the, the Messiah was going to come from a specific place. He was going to be born a specific way. He was going to say specific things. In fact, his life was going to do specific things that was recorded even hundreds of years before. Mark, it has a few of these things, but he gets right to the point. Okay. You're like, but Joel's not. Okay. But I'm not Mark. Okay. I'm not Mark. Mark is Mark and I am Joel, but I love what he does. He actually, He's, he focused on one of Jesus' attributes in this whole story. Jesus, the servant. Say, everybody say, Jesus, the servant. Jesus, the servant. You're going to see him serve. You're going to see him do. You're going to see him action back. In fact, you could say, Jesus, the suffering servant, which was also predicted in the Old Testament. Okay, he was going to be a suffering Messiah. This is not going to be a king that's going to walk around with a, with a crown on his head while he's on earth. Okay, he's going to be a suffering servant. So Mark, that's what he focuses on. So when you read the book of Mark, don't be surprised when you're going to see him serve, do, heal. He's not necessarily only teaching. You don't have a lot of parables. You don't have a lot of sermons. Those are important. I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love it. But Mark's like, I'm not going to focus so much on what Jesus said, even though you have a few things. You have a few parables. You have some teaching, okay? I'm not going to focus so much on what Jesus said. I'm going to focus on what Jesus did. I'm going to show that Jesus is at, is at work. And this is very important because I believe today, more than ever, we need to focus on the fact that not only is teaching, we need to be in his teaching. He was a master teacher. That's why even non-Christians will say, Jesus was a great teacher. Okay? If we focus on the fact that he's a great teacher and we forget about who he, even more than that, 
we missed the point. But he was a great teacher, you're right. Master teacher, storyteller of storytellers, but he is a servant. See, Mark has the words over and over and over, the words now and immediately. Now Jesus went here. Now Jesus went there. Again, I read this last few days, and I just get tired when I'm reading it. It feels like Jesus is sprinting, like he goes from one place to the other. And it's I like that because it's like, hey, come on, Jesus. He's not wasting any time. He says, Jesus basically says, and I know it, he says, every moment is a precious moment, and it's an opportunity to, to impact somebody's life. That should be our goal. No wasted moments. No wasted time. No, well, I, you know, I, I just don't feel like doing it today. No, no, no. We focus on what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to focus on until Easter. So who is Mark? Now, this is important to figure out who wrote the book. Mark is a very important individual, but he was not one of the 12 disciples. I know, eh, right? You're like, oh, man. Mark is very important, though. He was actually very young. He was born about 15 years after Jesus was born. So when the Gospels are being lived out, he's probably about 15, 16 years old. So like Hayden's age. Okay, and it's interesting for what it's worth. I want to give you a fun little two verses for just a moment that 99.9% of scholars believe that it's Mark. Okay, even if it wasn't, it's a funny little snippet in the, in the Gospels, but I believe it's Mark. But um, Mark actually shows up in his Gospel in the life of Christ. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 51 and 52. Now, I don't read this and go, this is life-changing stuff. I read this and go, now, that's interesting. Why was that put there? Okay? Sometimes Bible verses are like that. Why did that person put that there? But Mark chapter 14, verse 51 and 52 said, One young man, now, pause. This is when Jesus was, right after um, Judas came up and kissed him, Peter had chopped off a guy's ear. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Healed the man? I would have just forgot about the man and just let him have no ear for the rest of his life. But Jesus is a lot better than me. Okay, he healed the man, and then as they're taking Jesus, these these guards, they're taking everybody around them, and there's this young man. Okay, now I'm not a Bible theologian, I'm not a Bible scholar, I I study here and there. 99.9% of people and the early church fathers, they all believe that this is Mark. I have no idea how. It's a fun little thing. But he followed behind. He was clothed only in a long linen shirt. So think about this. I think he woke up from going to bed. I was thinking about when I was, this might be TMI, but when I was a kid, you know what my pajamas were? A long t-shirt, okay? That's it, I, you know, I, you know, I underwear and stuff like that, but, but imagine that you have to go outside really quick and you're in your, this long t-shirt. And he's, so this is how he is. He was in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and he ran away naked. Now, how many of us, man, that's deep stuff, right? That's, that, that could teach, that could preach. Not really. To me, it's like, it's a very random thing. It's the only time that's ever mentioned is right here. It's like, huh. But notice, if it is Mark, notice that Mark doesn't use his name. That he was the little, he was the young man that was running around town naked back to his mom's house, right? I mean, so I throw that in there as something for fun, that it, trying, to build, trying to build this story about who Mark really is. He's a young man who got to witness Jesus, saw Jesus firsthand. He heard the commotion about Jesus being arrested, ran out there in his pajamas. He said, wait, and he's probably trying to like get in the middle of it all. The guards try to grab him, and he slips out of his shirt, and he runs away naked. Wow, that is a very good story. I think I'm going to have that printed on a cup, right? A coffee cup. Very inspirational. But I, I love the story. That is Mark, and 
Um, what's also interesting is uh, the early church fathers, the people who they're closer to the actual events of the whole thing. It was word of mouth tradition, what happened, okay? Not only just written down, but they believe that actually Mark was the one that penned on papyrus paper the words that we have written down in our Bible right now, as we call Mark. But they, they actually believed that it was Peter, the apostle Peter was the one that would tell him the story. So what we have in the book of Mark is an amazing thing. I love the apostle Peter. You know why I like the apostle Peter the most? Because he's, to me, don't take this the wrong way. They're all human. They're all like bozos in their way. But Peter seems like he's the biggest bozo, right? He is the biggest bozo. And it's part of the reason why I believe the Bible to be true. Because if I'm painting myself as this person who Jesus, who's walking with Jesus, I kind of want to paint this picture that Joel never screws up. And he always says the right thing. And he always does the right thing. But that's just not true. Peter, he goes here, this is, and he's such a bozo, but at the same time, when they, when, when Peter was in Rome, he was with Mark, John Mark, and he was actually, here, I'm going to tell you this story about what Jesus said. I want you to transcribe it. So we have the book of Mark, thanks to Peter, but to one other individual, which we'll get to in just a moment, because it's very important, this one individual. And, um, Mark went by two names. We know him as John Mark. We don't say the book, the gospel according to John Mark. There's already a gospel of John. There's John the Baptist. There's too many Johns, okay? So we say the book of Mark, and I love Acts 12. We're not going to reread Acts 12, but on your own time, it's a fun little story about John Mark's family. John Mark, his family owns this, they're rich. They have a servant. Peter has been arrested. He's in jail, and they're having a prayer meeting. And in that prayer meeting, they're having one thing that they're praying about. And there's some good prayer meetings when it's just revolved around one thought. And they're at, they're, they're at John Mark's mom's house, and his mom is named Mary. Yeah, another Mary in the Bible. Okay, that's a very common name. But they're at Mary's house, and when they're praying, they're like, Lord Jesus, release Peter from prison. We know you can do it. Do it again. And then as they're praying, they hear a knock at the door. Because Peter didn't want to just kick open the door. Sorry, I just gave up the story. But, you know, someone's knocking at the door, and the servant girl Rhoda, she goes up to the door, opens the door. She looks out. It's Peter. And he, she gets so excited about, <gasps> closes the door, <laughs> and goes back to the people. They're still praying. They're, they're like, Lord, deliver Peter. And she goes, Peter's at the door. Nah, it's his ghost. Now, I believe that he's talking about his spirit, but I like how it says ghost. It's Peter's ghost. He must have died in prison, and he's showing up at the doorstep as a, as a joke or something, like saying, hey, I'm dead. No, I, I really think it's Peter. Nah, keep praying. Let's keep praying. And then finally, they open the door and actually let him in. He's cold, probably, you know. Um, like, she gets so excited, close the door. I love that. This is why I like the story. This is why I believe the Bible to be true. There's so many funny things that just, you don't just make that up. But anyway, uh, another thing I love about John Mark is he was the cousin of Barnabas. How many of us have ever heard of Barnabas? Barnabas, key figure in the New Testament. Do not miss Barnabas. He doesn't get a lot of airtime. He doesn't even have a lot of verses, not really, in the grand scheme of things. But Barnabas, he was an encourager. Now, I've had a Barnabas in my life. His name was not Barnabas. I've had many Barnabases in my life because I've needed a Barnabas. I've needed encouragement. I needed that. And, and I've also tried my hardest to be a Barnabas to other people. But anyway, they were cousins. And in the book of Acts, great story. 
there is three, there is three missionary journeys going on in the book of Acts. The very first one, Paul and Barnabas are, are co-missionaries. They're going around the known world and proclaiming the gospel. They're planting churches. They're putting people in charge of it. And then they go on to the next one. The very first journey, Barnabas goes, Paul, can I bring my cousin? His name's John Mark. Can I bring him? Yeah, sure, he can come along. About halfway through the missionary journey, for some reason, John Mark wants to give up. Remember last week's, if you haven't been on YouTube, do it after. I talked about when you want to give up, like be a finisher. He wasn't a finisher. He said, this is, have you ever, be honest, something in your life was too hard that you said, I'm done. See ya. I'm out of here. John Mark was the same way. He said, I can't, Barnabas, this is too hard. I have to proclaim the gospel to people. And they're, they're slamming their doors at me. They're threatening to kill me, which I think that's what it was myself. He didn't want to be killed. And so he goes home and goes back to mom. True story. And Paul and Barnabas, they get in an argument. Okay, for one. Now, how many of us love the Apostle Paul? I love Apostle Paul. I think the way that he was. But let me be honest with you. He's a punk. The Apostle Paul is a, is a huge punk. And what I mean by that is that he came across, like a lot of people were like, man, he's a little, he's, he's, he's very outspoken. Like he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and that kind of personality did not change. Okay. He, he, he often rubbed people the wrong way. Him and Peter even had a disagreement. Look, read the New Testament. You'll find that. Um, but in this one, Paul and Barnabas have a huge disagreement because the second missionary journey comes along and Paul goes, ready to, ready to leave. Let's go, Barnabas. And he goes, can we take my cousin? Can we take John Mark? And he goes, no way, Jose. We are done with him. He's a quitter. He is a coward. He is a guppy. No way. He, he's, I'm giving up on him because he gave up on himself and he gave up on us. And so there's such a huge disagreement that Paul and Barnabas, there's a, they split up. Now, I think it went to the benefit of God's kingdom, but that's beside the point. Because Paul takes a guy named Silas, and they go to a specific location. Barnabas, he goes and finds John Mark. And he, go, he puts his arm around his shoulder. I'm making that up, but I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah, so that's what you do when you're encouraging. And you say, let's do it again. Let's go. I know you gave up on yourself. You think that, you know, Paul gave up on you. You probably think that God gave up on you. Nope, let's do it again. So they went on a missionary journey together. And then ultimately, Mark goes to Rome sees Peter. Peter is the one that get, like, actually led him to the Lord. He discipled him. He actually told him about the gospel story. And Mark, he actually wrote it down in papyrus paper. And that's what we have. And by the way, if you're a Bible nerd and you want, you want completion for the story, write down in your notes, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because there's a verse that talks about Paul and, Paul and uh, Mark were reconciled. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, oh yeah, go get, go get John Mark. He's been a great help to my ministry. I love that. Now, I like Paul. Don't get me wrong. He's one of my favorites. But I like Barnabas a lot. Because if it wasn't for someone like Barnabas, where would Mark have gone? I don't know. I have no idea. Because I'm assuming he gave up on himself. When I give up on God, I assume oftentimes that God gives up on me. When I give up on the mission of God, I assume that the church gives up on me. I assume that other Christians give up on me. But then we need someone like Barnabas that come alongside of us and invite us back and say, no, 
you gave up on yourself, and maybe someone gave up on you, but God never gave up on you. And we can thank Bar- we can thank Barnabas for even having this young man back, and his name was Mark. Now, that's for nerds, Bible nerds. If you're not a Bible nerd, you can take the last ten minutes and just go whatever. You know, that's just the nerdy stuff. That's just setting the scene to who Mark really is. Mark was a very important individual. And not only that, but he, he was with Jesus and he ran away naked. You know, that's just something that is just an amazing thing. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Again, no genealogy like Matthew and Luke. How does John open up? He goes way back before history. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that? He doesn't go back in time to before history. He doesn't go into genealogy. He just starts. Okay, he goes, this is the good news. Everybody say good news. Gospel, that's how we get gospel is good news. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Pause right there before we move on to the next part of verse one. He wants you to know who this story, what's about? Here it is. It's about Jesus. He's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. He's not just a Son of God. He's the Son of God. In other words, when someone is... When a Roman citizen is originally reading this scroll and they're reading Mark's gospel, they go, who does Mark think Jesus is? He is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and he's God as the Son. He's God the Son. God is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus is. So this is, I, I love this. He just begins a very simple way. He goes, I'm presenting to you guys good news. Now, I really struggle with this, the idea of good news. Because if you ask the average person that's not a Christian to describe them, one thing they're not going to say is good news. Did you know that? Usually they, they don't have a problem with Jesus usually. No one looks at Jesus and says, man, I, I, I just don't like what he, his teaching is just so horrible. No, most people go, I don't believe that Jesus is God. I don't believe he's the Messiah, but I believe he's great. His, his teaching is just so powerful. Many people will say that. But non-Christians have a problem with Christians. And I'll tell you why. Because of some of the messengers over the years have not been bearers of good news. In fact, I was looking at church history a little bit, and there was a few times in history where there were specific eras that, that believed that the gloomier you were, the, glo- the sadder you looked, the more holy you were. So everybody walked around with a frown. Like, I'm not joking. They, they, they put dirt on their face and they, 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 they would almost scratch themselves so they'd tear up and so they'd look like they were just sad because they thought that if the, you were gloomier, that you were closer to God. Because they look at you and go, wow, you've definitely been somehow changed by God. Okay. And they would actually dress in black. What do you wear to a funeral? Black. Okay? In fact, that's why, because a long time ago, I wanted to know why priests wear black. That's where it came from. They wanted to, they want to identify with being at a funeral. And so, I really struggle with this because I want to be part of the generation of people as Christ followers. We present the good news as good news. In fact, when you see the word gospel, it's more than good news. It's the, it's almost like, and it's not a real word, it's like the goodest news. You can't get better than that. You're like, that, you, Joel, you could have said great. Okay, fine, it's great news. But it's even better than great news. It is the greatest news ever. You can't top it. 
So we need to present the gospel. We need to live it out. We need to not be like, oh, how come you look, how come you look like you've been to a funeral, Dwayne? I'm glad you're smiling though. You know, why do you look like you're gone to a funeral? Right? In fact, I was looking at different quotes and I found a quote from Mark Twain. Mark Twain was a Christian, but he struggled. He didn't completely, wasn't completely sold out to it. But in his journal, he actually wrote this quote, and I love this. Would this be in my journal if I had a journal that people would read later on? He said, I went to church today, and guess what? I'm not depressed, exclamation point. Now, don't, please don't raise your hand, because you would probably offend me, because I've been to church and felt depressed afterwards. How many of us, don't raise your hand, just raise your spirit. How many of us have ever been to church in the past sometime, and you felt worse off after church than you did before? Boy, that was very gloomy. I came to church really great. And then I went home and we were fighting and I was in a bad mood and I was not, I just lost my appetite for anything. I'm done. Right? That's Mark Twain. He wrote that down like he's surprised by it. I actually went to church and I didn't feel depressed. Like I was just like this. We need to live out this gospel as if it's good news because it is. And not only that, we need to share it as good news. Like stop acting like you've been to a funeral. Jesus is not dead. He's alive, and he's ready to do it even more. He's ready to keep going and, and move forward. Mark chapter 1, let's keep going. He's, the, he's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And it says, it began, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. He said this, Isaiah quotes this, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he, this messenger, will prepare your way, Jesus. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Here's a sermon. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Prepare. It's like all those guys on the movies. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Right? And they always have a British accent. But clear the road for him. I love that message that John the Baptist had. That is, according to Isaiah, there's a guy going to show up one day. And he's going to proclaim the message. One message. But he's got a main purpose. You know what that main purpose was? And here it is. We're going to have a bunch of John the Baptist even right here right now. Here's what I believe. John the Baptist, one role was not only, not only baptize people and proclaim one message, but he was preparing people's hearts for the move of God. Jesus is showing up, clearing the road for Jesus to make it, make, it's funny how we always pray that God would make our path straight, but it's almost like John's job was to make the path of Jesus straight. Like, make him come down. I want to prepare the way for Jesus. You know what? In this second coming time, this this end times, we have a bunch of John the Baptists here who are proclaiming the good news and preparing the way for Jesus to actually come again. And we're preparing the way for a move of God like it's never happened in history. That's why I'm excited about these. That's why I'm excited about those places that are having revival right now. Is I appreciate you sending that to me. Um, There were two schools in there. I didn't know that was part of that. So I like that. Um, God is doing something right now. We need a bunch of John the Baptist who are preparing the way and, and, and getting ready for a move of God. Verse four. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and he preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Did you know there's one common thread in every revival? You can also, we can say worship, that's true. 
there's one time, there's one thing that's every revival in history, repentance. 100% of the time, people repented of their sin in mass. Like entire churches, entire cities, entire organizations, they repented. Christians repented of their sin and said, Lord, I want to make it about you. That's when the fire fell. And that's when revival hits. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was doing to prepare the way. He was showing them, you need to be baptized so that you're showing everyone else that you're actually repenting of your sin. You're not just a bunch of talk. You're not just a bunch of air. In fact, I'm not going to read John's account of this, but it's important. Go to John after you get home. Because there's a lot that goes on here. Mark just goes, this is who John is. Let's move on, right? But John's gospel, the, the apostle John, he says that this people came up to him and said, hey, hey, guy, you crazy looking guy. Um, are you Elijah? No. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you that prophet that uh, Moses talked about? Nope. Okay, then who are you? And I love, I, what I love about John the Baptist the most, how humble he is. You know what he could have said? He could have said, I'm from the line of all these prophets from Zechariah back I am those, I am that man that you guys have been talking about from all the way in Isaiah's time. And not only that, Jesus, I'm his cousin. I'm earthly related to him. Like, I mean, how many of us would show off if that was, if Jesus was our physical cousin? Wouldn't you go, guess who I'm related to? If I was related to Elvis Presley, I would do that, you know? If I was related to Johnny Cash, I would do that. If I was related to, Anybody you can think of, you're like, yeah, I'm related to that guy. John the Baptist doesn't even mention that. He goes, they go, who are you? He goes, you know what? I'm simply a voice. And I'm preparing the way for Jesus to show up. I love how I, this is a side note, but I, I believe that the church needs a humble spirit in the church. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've met people over the last 25 or so years, Christians who God has done amazing things through them, but it almost builds up this sense of like earthly pride. Like, look at how good I am. Look how holy I am, man. I am so good that God did this through me. My preaching is so good. 5,000 people got saved. That's what Peter could have done. 3,000 people. But anyway, I'm, I, I always add, add up, round up, not round down. But, you know, I'm such an amazing, but John the Baptist, he goes, I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. So basically, we need that humble spirit in the church. Basically, what that means is let's just keep the message simple. Let's keep it biblical, but let's keep it simple. And let's point people in the direction of Jesus and get ready for a move of God that we've never seen in our lifetime. Verse 5 and 6. All of Judea, including all the people in Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. I think that's why they thought he was Elijah come back to life, because he wore that kind of, Elijah wore that kind of stuff. Like this, this is the stuff that makes you itch and burn. Ow, 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 ooh, ah. You ever wore clothing that's like, ow, that hurts. Like it's like wearing burlap. Why would you do that? But anyway, it's like, ouch, right? And, and for food, he ate, Ah, yuck. How many of us have ever ate a bug?
go when you during this week go to the pit stop and right next to the cashier where they where they pay where you pay there is suckers that has little bugs in it and I dare you to go buy I should have had a bunch of those and hand them out that would have been perfect they're a little expensive so that would have been a little expensive thing but but for food he ate locust and wild honey I'll take the wild honey but it wasn't filtered it's probably disgusting anyway but he ate locust so he was the original hippie now I am this I'm still, I'm only 40, 41, 42, almost 42. And I, I didn't grow up with the hippies. I will not make you raise your hand if you were a hippie or you grew up with the hippies. But the original Jesus movement in the late 60s, early 70s, a bunch of hippies getting saved. John the Baptist would have fit in. He would have been part of the Jesus movement because he had, he took a Nazarite vow, never shaved, never shaved, never cut his hair. He, he, he was a wild man. He smelled, he smelled disgusting, never bathed probably. He, he, his camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Um, uh, he ate locusts and he's like screaming in the desert. This is a wild man. Now, I love the next part of this. Now, before I move on, this is, these last two verses are where I want to camp out on before, we're going to, we're going to be done. We're not going really deep today. I just want to, I want you to be challenged by John's view of Jesus. Now, for just a moment, inventory time for yourself. Who is Jesus to you? He's God. No, 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 just stop. Don't say all the Sunday school answers, right? Like, you know, just Jesus. Don't just think about it in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Look how John the Baptist Look how he says about Jesus. He goes, he goes, uh, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Pause. Would you agree with that for in your own life? Duh. Right? God, Jesus Christ, you are infinitely more holy than I am. But look at his, look at what he goes on. He says, he's so much greater than me that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. It was so a known thing in the world that when you walk into someone's house, if you were not a slave, if you were just an ordinary individual, taking your sandals and cleaning your feet, that's below you. You're going to get the house slave. Take off my sandals. Right? They kneel down, untie the sandal, put it to the side, and then you wash your feet. Every time that you walk in the house, that was reserved for the slave. And John goes, Jesus is so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave, to serve him like I should. You know what I think Jesus would have done? Stop being a bozo. Stop it. Come here. Just, right? Because Jesus wants relationship. There is not this, there's not this sense of distance between us and Jesus. But at the same time, Look at his heart. He's so much greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even, he's, Jesus is, it's all about Jesus. Even later on, he goes, he goes, um, less of me, more of him. Right? Do you know that? John, there's people being, Jesus is baptizing people. He goes, good. I want, I want them to focus on him, more of him, let me go behind the scenes a little bit until he dies, beheaded. 
right? We know that story. But look, I baptize you with water, which is important, but something's going to happen even greater than that. He, Jesus, will baptize you. It could be with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, I want to end this with the idea of this. Jesus is so great, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now, are, are you, do you worship Jesus without shame? I'll tell you why. Because when I was first a Christian, I was embarrassed by worshiping him. Because I thought I looked ridiculous. Some of us would be at the altar lifting up our hands. Some people would be shouting. And I would be a 16-year-old kid just sitting there going, I just want to get out of here so I can go to McDonald's and play video games. I mean, that's the truth. When I was first a Christian, we don't have a McDonald's, so I can't go there after church. Because it was 39 cent cheeseburgers back in the day on Sunday. But one day, one day, I came up to a service. This is not to be proud. I, this is what changed my life. I came up to the altar by myself. No one, it was kind of a dull Sunday. It was like, eh, whatever. But God challenged me, go up to the front. But nobody's there. Go up to the front. I came to the front, to the altar by myself. My, my youth pastor was playing the piano up on the stage like this, up on that side. And it wasn't to be a show. It was for, me, for God. Because we're not supposed to make our worship a show. But it wasn't about any person anymore in the church. Because I was afraid of people's, people looking and going, what an idiot. Look at that guy raising his hands. Look at him like, praising God out loud. What, what moron does that? You, you, you zealot you. Like they wouldn't say that. But you, 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 you Jesus freak. That's something that someone would have said. You Jesus freak. But I went up to the front and I just lifted up my hands. And that was when the Holy Spirit baptized me in his, in his presence. And um, I am not perfect. Just ask my kid and my wife. But I've never been the same since. It was that moment. This is a year after salvation. This is back in 97. That that was when God called me to ministry. That's when he changed my life. That's when I wanted to save, uh, go to my friends and, and tell them about Christ. That, that, it was that time. It was so important. That, that baptism in the Spirit, that he wants to overflow you. He wants to go, he wants to go within you, and he wants to flow through you. And from that moment on, I don't care how, I don't care if any new people come here. I don't care. Because I will lift up my hands in praise because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And some of us might go, why do we do that? Talk to God when you get to heaven why we do that. I have no idea. Like, I, I get the symbolism, but like, why? It's, it's surrender, but, but why does God need it? He doesn't need it, but why does he call? It's for God. So as we close this time, I want to end this with a song on the on the computer, and it's 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 this is your this is your altar moment here. I want you to seek God for the next. It's it's a six minute song, so please just hang on for just six more minutes. Can we do that? Because it's it's um.
God's saying something very specific, and it's like being confirmed multiple times. And uh, so let's look at this. 